Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. We will read this whole section together, keeping context and remembering the context. It says this in verse 11. Read with me, please. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, what is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. So the last couple weeks as we've been going over this passage, we've seen the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit give us a look at the Gospel in a different angle. And that angle is the the place of the Gospel and how it has reconciled us to God, obliterating and crushing the hostility between God and man, crushing sin, the hostility between God and man, And also reconciling man to man. Reconciling us together. Reconciliation goes vertical between us and God. And it goes horizontal. And that reconciliation is through Christ. Through the blood of Christ, as verse 13 says. That we have been brought near through the blood of Christ. We saw that last week. That Christ Himself is our peace. And that there is no peace outside of Christ. There is no peace outside of Christ. All men, all men and women, I'm speaking universally here, all men, even in this unbelieving world that we live in, are searching for peace in some way or another. They're searching for something that will satisfy and gratify their soul in some way or another. They're always pursuing something. And what the Scripture tells us, and what the Bible teaches us plainly right here, that Christ is that peace. 
that Christ is that, that sustaining satisfaction that, that kills that longing. It is in Christ. We have been reconciled to God through Christ. The hostility, as I say, killed between, between man and between us and God. Reconciled to one another. It breaks down and, and, and busts the walls that we so build up. That we, we build up amongst ourselves and against other people. These walls of hostility based upon how much money you make. Walls of hostility based upon what you look like. Based upon the, the color of your skin or even where you are from. We take our differences and we exploit them for our own, creating our own walls. And what the gospel has done is it has obliterated the wall of hostility between us and God. It has also crushed the hostility between us and man, between others. Jesus has brought us this peace. As we talked about last week, He has brought us this peace by by um, abolishing the, the ceremonial laws, the ceremonial laws, the, the rites, the rituals, the sacrificial system, because salvation through Christ, through His blood, through His work on the cross, has finished those things, has abolished those things. By grace we have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. Gospel-centered reconciliation, as we talked about. Gospel-centered reconciliation changes everything. Hebrews 10. If you go back and read Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, you see what it changes. It talks about the finished work of Christ on the cross, and then he, he applies that text to the church, to us, as that it is what compels us to hold fast to our confession. It's what stirs one another to, to love and to, to good works. It also is what compels us to show up on Sunday mornings together, to gather, because of the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's what we've been covering the last couple weeks. The gospel has many outcomes and many implications for our lives. And of course, we'll, we'll talk on this every Sunday, how the gospel applies and how the gospel is, is being implied upon our, upon our hearts through, through God's word. And there's so many outcomes on which what the gospel does in every one of our hearts, in the hearts of men and women. But it also does a great work in, in our together. And what it does for us as a, as a group, as a corporate body. The gospel is what creates the church. The gospel is what created us. Which has brought us into being. Which has us gathered here on Sunday mornings. The gospel creates the church. The gospel makes a people where, where there is no people. The gospel unites us together, those who are otherwise different culturally, racially, socioeconomically, age-wise, gender, nationally, whatever it is. The gospel unites us. Why else would we gather? But because of the gospel, and because of the power of the gospel. If there's, if there's anything else, if there's anything else that would unite us, or if there's anything else that would have us gathered here this morning, then, then what's the point? I mean, use some strong language here. And, and that is the point. What's the point? It's a, it's a colossal waste of time. 
And in fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said that if, the, that if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He goes on to say that if in Christ we have hope only in this life, meaning if we only have hope in Christ in this life, as Nietzsche called the opiate for the masses, I think that was Nietzsche, was that right, Bill? Was it Nietzsche or was it Marx? Okay, the opiate for the, the masses, if that's just what it is, just a hope temporary for this life, then we people have the most to be pitied for. Because we are colossally wasting our time. Where otherwise we can go out and do other things. The world offers far better forms of hope than what a non-gospel church offers. You hear that? That the world offers you a whole lot more hope than what a non-gospel church offers. You will be much more satisfied in a speedboat on the lake today, this morning, than being here if there is no gospel and if it's not true. What a waste. But in fact, if, if, if it is right, if it is true, if the gospel is correct, and if Christ is raised from the dead, then reconciliation with God is real. Peace with Christ is, is real. And the effect of those things has many implications for us together today. And how we, are, we come together today. And how we do church. And how sovereign grace is shaped and formed. So as our identities are changed through this reality, I want to I share with you this morning how this passage shows us that our identity, yes, has changed us as individuals, but it also changes our corporate identity. It changes why we are gathering and, and these are the three metaphors that, that I mentioned in the, the questions. These are the three main metaphors that this passage used to describe the outcome of the gospel in a corporate body called the church. We've been discussing metaphors in, in our book study and church membership. In fact, there's a, there's a whole chapter on metaphors, what the Bible uses to describe the church. Um, different, different words, different language. And, and that's what we see today. We see these metaphors being brought to us today. So if you don't, understand, if you don't know what a metaphor is, let me explain to you, because I you know, look it up again and make sure I get it all correct. But um, a metaphor is like when we say, uh, like last Monday, right, when it was, we had that storm roll through and it just rained all day long. Um, we would say to someone, it is raining like cats and lions in here are today. Do you all say cats and lions or do you say something else? Dogs, okay. Cats and dogs. It, it is raining like cats and dogs here, right? And so um, that's, that's a metaphor, right? It's clearly not raining cats and dogs, right? That would be weird. That would, that would just be like, what's going on? Am I tripping? What's happening, right? Um, it's, it, but we understand what it means. It means that it's really coming down out there. It is, it is really raining. So the cats and dogs, they are metaphors to describe the intensity of the rain. There was another example that came to my mind, and it kept on coming to my mind over and over again um, because now it's hot, and we would say it's hot as, don't say it, Hades outside, right? right? It's, it's hot as, you know, it's hot, right? And, and so that's, that's a metaphor, right? It's a, it's a metaphor to describe the intensity of the, the heat coming 
outside. That was not in my notes, and I should have said that because I did not want to use it, but it came out anyway, so I'm sorry. So the Bible is filled with metaphors. The Bible is filled with, with metaphors, and, and that's what we have in, in our text this, this morning. The metaphors that we see here in this text that's going to help us understand the church and the unity that we now have in Christ because of that amazing reconciliation between us and God and us to each other is incredible. And these three metaphors are this, is that we are called citizens. We are called citizens. We are called members of the household. You can just put members for short. Just put members, right? And then another one is uh, uh, we are, we are being, it says we're being built together. But my, the metaphor I'm going to use, because I think it's being implicit there, is, is stones. We are stones. Citizens, metaphors, and stones. And there's, so there's, there's big reasons why these metaphors are being, they're being used. They, they come in front of these uh, um, in front of this, this verb language that we've heard before in the describing of these, these metaphors. Back in verses 5 and 6 of, uh, of chapter 2, he said, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us, seated us with him in the heavenly places. Those three words, that made together, raised, all had that same prefix, and you guys are going to remember this, all had that same prefix of saint. Remember that? has the same prefix of, of synced. And, and that same prefix happens again in, in helping to describe the action of these, of these, uh, uh, of these metaphors of citizens, members, and, and, and stones. That same prefix. So when it says fellow citizens joined together as members and being built together as stones, has that same prefix, that, that idea of being synced together. So not only have we been synced together with Christ, but we have also are, have been synced together as Christians. That's the, that is the, the overarching foundation of this work right here. What happens is, is that this is the outcome of the work of the gospel. That reconciliation, that syncing us with Christ, is also syncing us together. And that's why we have these three metaphors of being made citizens and, and uh, members of the household of God and, and, and stones. So let's look at our first one there in verse 19. And verse 19 says that we are, we are made citizens of the kingdom of God, fellow citizens. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Fellow citizens with the saints. So then, I like that. So then, you can put in there, therefore, you can say, consequently, <clears throat> therefore, because of reconciliation, because of what you were before strangers and aliens, this is what you are now. Strangers and aliens. This is who we once were. Not terms that are necessarily terms of endearment. Stranger danger. Aliens beware. Area 51. We don't like them. Aliens are the bad guys in the movies. Most of the time, unless you watch E.T., and this is alluding back to verse 12, where that's what we're called. This is what, remember that this is what you once were, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant. You didn't even know. You were ignorant of the fact, unknowing, aliens, different, refugee, and exile. This is who you once were, but not anymore. Therefore, since this is what you once were, because of the work of Christ, you are now something different. 
You are what? You are a citizen. You are a citizen. So if we are by grace in Christ and saved, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we have been brought in as fellow citizens to the kingdom of God. Fellow citizens with the saints. Brought in to the family. No longer refugees, but given citizenship to the greatest kingdoms of all. The greatest kingdom of all. The kingdom that lasts for eternity. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Um, my mom immigrated to the United States sometime in the 60s um, with, with my grandparents from the Netherlands. Um, my, my grandfather, after, after World War II, wanted to start a new life um, in the United States, and he saved up everything, sold everything he could, and, and they moved to the United States. They ended up living in California for a time, um, and they wanted to start a, a, a new life. My mom was born in Holland, but she, she grew up here in the States. She got married. She had a family. And that whole time, that whole time, she was, she was a legal alien. That was her status, according to the, to the U.S. government. She was, a, she was a legal alien. And it wasn't until a few years ago that she decided she, she wanted to pursue citizenship. She had no other really reason to, right? She was a legal alien. She could live here for the rest of her life. No problems. Not a big deal. Um, but she wanted to become a citizen of the United States. And so she pursued that. I, re I remember the day when she, she completed her classes and she passed the citizenship test, which, by the way, that's something we should all have to do. Um, I don't... Uh, <laughs> never mind. Uh, that's something we all should have to do. But I remember when she passed those tests. I remember when she was, when she was sworn in. She actually texted her and I asked her to date if she can remember it. And she said, February 19, 2010. She was sworn in as a U.S. citizen. I remember her calling me and telling me how proud she was. How proud she was to stand up with, with other people from all around the world and, and take the oath of citizenship. To become a, a U.S. citizen. She, she lived here for so long. So why would she be proud? I mean, she still has a driver's license. She's still going to be able to go to Walmart and buy food. And you know, what, what, what changed? What was the, why such the big deal? Because it was the formal declaration that she was no longer just an alien, but that she was a citizen. That she was a citizen. And now she was a citizen with all the rights and the responsibilities that go with it. When she goes and votes, she takes pride in being able to go and vote. So many years she couldn't, and now she can. And in the same way, we are, we are, we are brought in. We are brought into to the citizenship of the kingdom of God to the kingdom of, of, of heaven. No longer just aliens and strangers walking around, legal or illegal. We're no longer just people who are just apart, but we are now people who are brought in, that, that belong. God truly rules over everything. He is sovereign over everything. But the kingdom of God refers to the particular special rule that God has over his people and over his work and over his church. And in this reality of being a, king, a part of the kingdom of God, we too get to enjoy the privileges and responsibilities of being a part of the kingdom of God as citizens. Drawn in as citizens of the, with the other saints Gathered together. There's that word again, by the way, saints. We saw that all the way back in uh, chapter 1, I think verse 3, maybe. 
uh, we're brought in as saints, with the saints, together. No longer second-class citizens, but holy, set apart, saved, redeemed by the blood of Christ. I love this language, this new community language that is so important for us to, to embrace our citizenship in, in heaven and with God, the, 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 the kingdom of God. The important thing to remember from here is this. The important thing to remember is that you now belong. It's that you now belong. You've been brought near. We belong to the, to the kingdom of God. To a kingdom that has no end. Right? Our, our citizenship, as, as good as that illustration that I had with my mom, and as personal as that was, it, it's still lacking so much. It's still lacking so much. As, 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 as good and as, as cherished, I think we should enjoy our citizenship here in the good old U.S. of A. But it's so temporary. It's, it's so temporary. It's not that great. Look how much it's abused and squandered and meaning, almost meaningless to so many. But to the kingdom of God, we are a citizen that that is never ending. And we are, we are citizens of a, of, of a kingdom that, that one day we may have to choose between the two. We may have to choose between the, the, between the two. Because here's the reality. Here's, here's that, that feeling that we have that even though we are not, we're no longer strangers and aliens with God, we are definitely becoming more and more strangers and aliens to this world. The more you look like Christ, the more alien-like and stranger you are going to be to this world. And you'll be asked. There will be much to be required. We need to realize this. We need to realize this. Brothers and sisters, this is not our home. This is not our home. You are citizens of a greater kingdom, a kingdom that man cannot destroy, a man cannot take from you, What's the worst that could happen? Take your life, to live as Christ, but to die as gain. So we're made citizens of the kingdom of God. But I think even closer, I love it, he draws us in even closer. And that he says that we are made members of God's family. Second part of verse 19 there. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And members of the household of God. This is our second metaphor. Made members of the household of, of God. We are brought into, into His household. This, this metaphor, of, metaphor of being brought into the, the God's household is just stunning. It's, it's, it's just stunning to the fact that we can maybe understand that He wants us to be a citizen of His kingdom, but God draws us into His household not to be a slave, not to be a servant as worthy as that would be to do, but to be a child, but to be a son and to be a daughter, to be drawn in. This is, this is just absolutely stunning, particularly when we, when we put it back into context of the verse, right? The scripture here. Because he's talking about Gentiles. Gentiles who were alienated, strangers to the commonwealth of Israel. 
who are not a part of the family of Abraham. But now by the blood of Christ have been, have been grafted in, which is stronger than any blood tie. Brothers and sisters, until we realize that you and I, if you are in Christ, you and I have a much stronger relationship in Christ than you will ever have with your own by your blood, brother and sister, or your parents. That's the gospel. It's the work of what God has done. It's a hard saying. It's hard, it's hard to hear that, but that's how unifying the church is. That's how beautiful this picture of being drawn into the household of God, that the adoption of God is much stronger than any blood relation that we have. Brought into the same family. I've been reading through Acts, and I read through uh, last week uh, chapters 11, or 10 and 11, and this is where kind of officially the Gentiles are, are brought into, uh, kind of brought into the fold. And, and, and I just kind of had to feel sorry for a little bit of, of Peter um, as God comes to Peter as he is uh, uh, in a, having a, a, a dream or a trance is what it says. And, and God comes before him and shows him this vision three times of this, this blanket coming down. And this blanket has, you know, the, all these unclean animals and, and he's telling him to eat it. And, and Peter's like, no, I'm not going to do it. It's like, I got you. I'm not going to deny you this time, Jesus. Right? I'm going to do his right. And, and, and eventually he, he kind of gets to the point that, that what God has called unclean now is clean. And therefore, if God, what God, God calls clean is therefore clean. And it was setting him up for the next step. And the next step was for him to go to a man's house named Cornelius. And Cornelius also had a vision. To send men to Joppa to go get Peter. He was a God-fearer. And not a Christian, right? He wasn't a believer. He was a God-fearer, a respecter of God, right? And, and he went there and he brought Peter in. And Peter's like, uh, you're Gentile. What do you want from me? And he's like, he tells him, what does it mean to be saved? How do I get saved? Heard that question before. And so Peter preaches the gospel to him. Preaches, preaches the gospel to, to, this, to this Gentile. And even in the middle of his sermon, in the middle of his sermon, there's Cornelius and there's his family. The Holy Spirit comes upon that, that group and his family and, and Cornelius and, and redeems them, saves them, reconciles them, regenerates them miraculously. And there's Peter trying to finish his sermon and all of a sudden God does this incredible work of saving Gentiles. And, and I love the response that Peter had, that Peter had to the, to the guys that he brought with him, some Jewish guys with him, Jewish Christians. And Peter's response in verse 47 in chapter 10 says, he says, can anyone hold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He says, I really don't know what happened here, but let's baptize them. Let's baptize them. They've been brought in. They've been grafted in. And then in chapter 11, some Jews come to, to, to Peter and they shake their finger in his face and say, why are you eating with Gentiles? Why are you eating with them? You're not of them. You're a follower of Jesus, the, the great Jewish king, right? The Jesus. And he just says, well, this is what happened. This is what happens. And, and here's their response to that testimony. I love this. At the end of that chapter, he says, he says when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life, bringing them into the family. 
You see this metaphor of, of being drawn into the family of God, the household of God, really helps us understand our relationship with God as our Father. It also helps uh, define our relationship to each other as brothers and sisters because we have the same Father. And if we have the same Father and we are sons and daughters, then therefore we are brothers and sisters. See the vertical and the horizontal? Helps us understand this reality. Helps us understand these things. And back in um, Ephesians 2.18, it says this, it says, through, through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We now have access to the Father. And that language is, is very particular in being said that it's the Father. Not, you know, overarching ruler, king, who only hates you, right? Not just even God, but, but Father. Intimate. Relational. Can be known. Access to the Father. A Father who loves us. A Father who receives us. A Father that will listen to you. A Father that will let you sit on His lap. A Father that will play ball with you. Access to the Father. Further back, even in Ephesians chapter 1, verse, verse 5, it says, In love, that was actually verse 4, but in love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to His will, we are adopted as brothers and sisters. This is why we call each other brothers and sisters affectionately, because we are brothers and sisters adopted into the family of God. And as being a part of the, the family of God, we have responsibilities. And Ephesians 5.1 tells us of those responsibilities moving forward. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Think about that. Be imitators of God as beloved children. We imitate our God and we obey His commands lovingly because we know that we are his children and as his children we are loved and we are cared for in first timothy 5 1 through 2 or 1 and 2 it shows us in that in that verse how we should treat one another as family that we have responsibilities of being a part of the family to be belonging to a family and to be loved to not alienate others. To not make people feel like strangers. Because that is not what God has done for us. But also to be active participants in the family. Our, our children are, are growing up. Um, and, and as they get older, we're, we're, we're learning as parents and trying to figure out how to give them more responsibility. And, and, and I mean not... I mean responsibility in having chores to do around the home. Um, and and it's, it's amazing to see what, what they're able to do um, from, from unloading the dishwasher to feeding the dog, taking out the dog, getting the mail, which they fight over. They love doing that. Um, uh, cleaning their room, uh, taking care. Well, they hate cleaning their room. Uh, taking care of, uh, of their little sister. They love that. Sometimes Lydia doesn't like that. But taking care of their little sister... Uh, even folding laundry is starting to happen, which is a miracle, by the way. That's, that's like a dream that just came true. 
Um, and, and in this, what we're doing in, in, in these things, we're trying to cultivate them this loving desire to serve one another and serve the family. That they are active participants in this family. They're active participants. And when they do these things, they are showing love and desire and, and wanting to serve one another. Galatians 6, verse 10 says, So then we have an opportunity. So as then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. As you have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Listen to this. Especially to those who are, has, who are apart, who are those the household of faith. We have a responsibility to each other. We have a responsibility to, to each other and how we love one another, how we serve one another, how we, as we've been learning in the church membership book, how we submit to one another, how we submit to one another. One of my, one of my commentaries that I read on this point made a, made a warning and says, be careful not to, not to treat the church as a hotel, just a place that you attend occasionally or go to occasionally and give a tip when it's pleased, when you're pleased or you're served well. It's a good warning. We're family. Brothers and sisters, one father. And every one of us have an important role to play, a part of this household to the everyday life and mission of Sovereign Grace here in Statesboro and around the world. So that's point two. That we are, we are made a part of the household of God. Point three, right here, next one, next metaphor, num, metaphor number three, is that we are, um, we are made stones in, in God's temple. We are made stones in, in, in God's temple. So this is our third and, and final metaphor. So in light, of, in light of Jesus Christ, as it says here in verse 20, in verse 20, that, that he is himself our, our cornerstone, the cornerstone of the Household of God, right? You see the, the illustration that he's given us perfectly to help us understand that the cornerstone of the household of God is Christ himself. We will understand what he means in verses 21 and 22. That a part of the kingdom, we are part of the family, but we are also being built together off of the cornerstone of Christ to become the new temple of God. Now this has massive implications for us and for the church. Massive implications for, for what it means. You should even draw it closer. What's closer than being a family? Being built into the dwelling place of God. Being built into the dwelling place of God himself. Tells us that Christ is our foundation. Right? Christ himself being, being our cornerstone actually says first that the that the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and this is namely the, the testimony of the apostles and the prophets, the, 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 the word of God. God's word being our foundation, and that foundation being specifically honed in into that cornerstone of who Christ is. That is our message. That is, who, that is what we are. That is our foundation. The word of God and Christ. In Christ. That's the message of the apostles and the prophets to us and to the Ephesians. The gospel. This is where, this is where the church will stand or it will fall. And guess what? It has been standing and it has been falling since the first century. 
When you deny the Scripture, when you turn away from the importance of Scripture, when you turn away from Christ and who Christ is as revealed in the Scripture, they fall. They falter. They become meaningless. That non-gospel church, as we talked about in the beginning. Fruitless. And yet the early church realized, and as we realize, I believe we realize in Acts 2.42, they says that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. Therefore, we devote ourselves to the teaching, to the Scripture alone as our, as our foundation. And then Christ is the, that cornerstone of the, the foundation. And I love that. That off of Christ is where every other block then is laid. When you put the, the cornerstone down, every other block then is determined by, by where that placement is. That our place as building blocks, as living stones, as First Peter would call us, and our First Peter chapter two would call us living stones, our place in the, the body of Christ, the household is, of Christ, is determined by him, our cornerstone. Our cornerstone. And we're being, we're being carefully shaped and we're being carefully put into place by the Spirit of God. Joined together, synced. Like building blocks. Synced together, built together as stones to this, this new temple. This dwelling place of God. Right? 1 Corinthians 6 tells us how individually the, 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 we are the temple of the, the Holy Spirit, but we have here absolutely the, 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 the largeness of this is that not only are we individual uh, uh, dwelling places of the Holy Spirit, temples of the Holy Spirit, we are corporately together. Corporately together. Dwell, dwell together by the Holy Spirit. The temple of God. The temple of God. You see, the, the presence of God is not limited to a place. It's not limited to a building. It's not limited to a certain ethnicity. But God's presence is spread worldwide to all peoples. Wherever people believe in Jesus Christ, God's temple is being built. And this also, I think, points a little bit toward the future, that, that we can understand this, we can kind of feel this just a little bit, particularly in our, our unity, in our fellowship, we can, we can see this, but there's still some wrong things about it, right? It's like an already, but not yet. We're going to see the, the reality of this perfect, that temple that's being built will be built, finished, and will be done in the consummation of all things. This ultimate reality being built together will be finally realized by man. It's a big thing for us to understand. Every person counts. Every building block counts. Each person, a part of this building, is important, necessary, needed. This is the meaning of, 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 of being in membership together, being building blocks, specifically part of the body. There's this game called Jenga, and Abby made a, a large version of Jenga. It was really fun. It can hurt you if you're not careful. But it's these building blocks, and they're stacked up in certain ways. And, you can, and the game is you pull the block off, and hopefully it won't fall. And you keep going in turns until eventually it falls, and whoever makes it falls loses. All right? and, and it's like Jenga. If one of those blocks, you, is removed and is taken away, the whole structure is hurt. When you deny the reality of what God is doing in you individually, but also corporately, you are not only hurting yourself, but you are hurting the body of Christ. 
So we need to, we need to raise, our, raise the bar. I think all three of these helps us understand that we need to raise the bar on our concept of the local church. And we've been doing that reading church membership together. We need to raise the bar on our concept of the local church. It's pretty obvious what we see here is that Jesus is making a people. Jesus is building his church. People from all over the world, every tribe, every nation, every, every tongue, and among those people, that every tribe, every tribe, nation, and tongue, we're part of that. We're, we're, we're among those people. Jesus is building us. Jesus is building us. So it helps us understand, again, things that we say a lot, that we're not a building. Jesus isn't building a building. He's not building a building, right? He's building a people. Cultural Christianity believes in the necessity of a building. They believe in the necessity of a steeple and the necessity of a pews and the necessity of, of stained glass and big pulpits and more. Like, that's real church. That's what you need. That's real church. That it's just a place, that it's just an event. But that's not the gospel here, is it? That's not the church. The church is the citizens, fellow citizens among the saints, the household of God, being built together as living stones to be the dwelling place of God. And here's one of the great gifts, and I don't know if you've been able to recognize this. Here's one of the great, great gifts in our circumstance, that those things that the culture calls necessary has been stripped away from us. And to that I am grateful. To that I am I'm grateful. There's nothing wrong with those things. Inherently, there's nothing wrong with this. It's the heart of man and what they do with them. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. It also shows us that, that individual believers are not to separate from the church. Isolated Christians do not exist in the Bible. Isolated Christians separate from the church do not exist. That's like saying that I want to be a stone, I want to be a living stone, but not be a part of the building. You know what a living stone is that's not a part of the building? It's in the junk pile that's going to be hauled off to the dump. You ever been on a construction site and seen that? It's broken. And it's unnecessary. It's unusable. But the living stones that are part of the building. It's also saying that I want to be a son and daughter, but I don't want to be a part of the family. What, is that? what does that mean? What, what does that mean? If you're rejecting what it means to be a part of the family, does it make you a son and daughter? Or being like a refugee from his native country, out of place, not belonging. We cannot be... We cannot treat the church as being something that's unnecessary or something that we can just be indifferent to. Once again, you'll hurt yourself and you'll hurt the church. Belonging to the church, as we've been discovering on, on Wednesday nights, and now what we see in our passage this morning is that it's, it's the, one of the most important decisions that you can make. More important, I, I think it's more important than, than where, you, where you go to school, where you work, what clubs you belong to, Etc. And of all people, we should know that. Of all people, we, we, should, we should know how important of a decision it is to be a part of the body of Christ and being a part of the right body of Christ. Because if we get it wrong, it can hurt. There's consequences. I love this. I, I, I love this idea of what we're, what we're learning here in these, in these passages. 
I love this because this is how, this is how God intends you. If you're in Christ, if you're a believer, God intends you to live out your, your faith and your love for one another in this community. This community, this local community right here. Local church. As we went back to, go back to Galatians 6.10, especially in the household of faith. So do we see what God is doing here? Can we be encouraged what, what God is doing here? Can we just delight in, 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 in an ounce of what God has been doing? And that God is not being, he's not reactionary here? That Christ building his church is not in reaction because of the sin that has happened to us? And to the heartache? But can we believe in the, the bigger picture of the sovereignty of God? That this is what he's always been doing? That he's always been leading up to this point? And he has ordained every step, even the sin, ordaining every step to bring us to this point. To have community. To be church together, united in the gospel, united in our foundation of the word of God and who, of who Christ is. I want to end quickly by quoting from a hymn that we sing. It's the hymn, The Church is One Foundation. It says, The church is one foundation, is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is His new creation by water and the word. From heaven He came and sought her to be His holy bride. With His own blood He bought her, and for her He died. Verse 2, Elect from every nation, yet one over the earth, over all the earth. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name, she blesses, partakes of the holy food. And to one hope she presses, with every grace endued. Let's pray. Lord, we give you praise and the glory for your word and how it speaks to us, how it feeds us this morning, how it encourages us to, to love one another, how it, it excuse me, shows us the close knit of the family that you have given to us in this place. It, it shows us, oh God, that, that even, the, even those who are not even gathered with us yet, that there's people who are, who are lost, people who are lost and trying to find peace and satisfaction in this world, that they, one, too, would be drawn in and be saved and be part of this family. Because, Christ, you are building your people. You are building this church. And you are building your church around the world. And to that end, we give you the glory. I pray this morning, O oh God, that if there's one or two or whoever that is not a part of the church. They are not a Christian. They are not a follower of Christ. But yet this morning, your, your Spirit has been tugging them, drawing them to be, to be a fellow citizen, to be a part of that family of God. I pray that they would respond in repentance and faith and belief. And so God, we trust that only you do the work that you can do. And it's for your glory and for our joy.
In Jesus' name, amen.